Welcome to Gridiron Live. We are taping this on Wednesday night. I've been taping. We are live on a Wednesday. Are we taping or are we live? We are live this time. I have to get used to that. That's my verbal crutch thrown out three seconds into the new show. Uh, we're live here on a Wednesday night. Ollie Conley, the editor of Gridiron Magazine, alongside Cy Clancy, the lead feature writer at Gridiron Magazine. And we are doing a past the draft kind of show. As we run up to the draft, we've been covering the draft for a month, month and a half. Now we've done a hard reset, and now we're going back into the draft. And this Wednesday night show will tag alongside the Tuesday Gridiron show we do on the regular podcast feed. And this show will be available as a podcast if you want to, to catch up with it after the fact on the Gridiron show. And the plan here is to go kind of pick by pick through the first round, jump off into a whole bunch of different points and hit as much information as we can about this draft just kind of using the team to jump off points. I think what we'll do, Sai, is we'll kind of offer what we would both do as GMs in that spot. And then to bring a little of the feel of being into a front office, we'll have to get to a consensus pick of at least who we think these teams will select. As we go through the first round, discuss obviously where they would move up and move down. First of all, I should say, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Through to the semi-final of the Champions League. Happy Absolutely. with that. Can't complain, can't that. complain. So... I guess we should just start. We did a quick overview, Will and myself, on, on the main gridiron show on Tuesday of just kind of the, the general themes of this draft, where it's strong, where it's weak. But we should start as this is a new live show and we'll have new people listening in for the first time. Give me your general assessment. I guess because we're doing the first 10 picks tonight, or we're going to try and aim to get through the first 10 picks. In that real first 10 pick range, most people will be aware by now. There isn't an elite quarterback, though two of them may well go. But what are people looking for at that very, very top end of the first round? I think we're going to see a lot of defensive linemen, mate. I mean, I think you go, and we'll get, get to some of the names in a minute, but it's strong in that area. Uh, I think there's some corners. I think there's some questions about some corners, and we'll get to guys like Derek Stingley. We'll get to Source Gardner, who's kind of become the the big corner favourite. And I, I saw, um, I'm trying to think who it was today, actually. Um, might have been Scott Pioli. Um talking about, you know, Gardner potentially going second overall, which to me would be a little bit too <laughs> a little bit too tasty for me for a for a, a good corner, obviously, but a guy that can be a really grabby corner as well. Um like you say, I think corner uh, there aren't quarterbacks, but there will be quarterbacks, I think. Yeah. It's just a quarterback league. Um and then I suppose receivers, and it's just interesting to see where the receiver group will kind of will end up because, you know, whether teams are going to look at the big guys, the Drake Londoners, whether they're going to look at the kind of the twitchy route runners, the Garrett Wilsons, the Chris Alaves, who's going to end up where? Where, where will Jamison Williams go? Will he make the top 10? Will he make the first round? It's kind of there's so many question marks because there's so much uncertainty because it's not a great, you know, not a strong class. The thing I see, I don't think it's not necessarily strong. I think that everyone's so much of a muchness. It's like, is there a massive gap from your first edge rusher to Jermaine Johnson? Wherever you have Jermaine Johnson, right? Is he four, fifth, sixth? Do you have him first, like Doug Farrar does? But you can toss certainly the defensive linemen, about nine of them up in the air. They fall down in any order, and you feel pretty comfortable probably with what that order is, unless you, you really believe in Hutchinson or Thibodeau as being a standout candidate all on their own. And I was speaking about this with Will on Tuesday. I, I get the sense that, like the Source Gardener thing there of Detroit, I think teams are going to fall in love with a guy, and either because he's so close to everyone else in their grading system, they either just take him in a spot we're not used to. So it might sound a bit silly. Say you have Source Gardener at 11th on your board, and Detroit takes him second. Well, is there that much of a gap between 11 on your board and two this year? I don't think it's that big of a gap. I think all those players are really, really good and will all play right away. So you can kind of make the case that there's great value there just taking the guy you want. And I also think the big thing will be teams trying to manipulate their draft position by two, three picks to just feel more comfortable with where they're taking their player, but to get their guy, right? So it's like, maybe we don't feel comfortable with Source at two, but can we move down with Carolina at six so they can just go take Willis, no questions asked, take Pickett, no questions asked, and then we take Gardner at six. So it's going to be tough for these teams to move because I don't think anyone's going to be desperate to pay a price to get up without it being a quarterback or a star pass rush that they love falling down the board like a Thibodeau sliding on draft night. Yeah. The thing I the thing I find really interesting about this year's draft is that there doesn't seem to be from the people I'm talking to, some scouts and, and people, there doesn't seem to be a consensus at almost every position. Do you know what I mean? Some teams have got, you know, take, you know, Edge, for example, you know, Trayvon Walker, is it is it Aiden Hutchinson? Is it Thibodeau? You know, who's got 
those guys higher? Is it Jermaine Johnson? You know, how far do you go down? As you said, you know, to a Carl Aftis, to a, you know, um, David Ajabo, to an um, Eber Katie. The, there are different teams are going to have different players higher and lower than the normal years, I think, because it just doesn't seem to, to be that consensus. And I think you go down through the position groups, you know, you go to defensive tackle and you, you look, you know, is Jordan Davis the number one guy? I, I I don't know. I've heard other teams talking about other players that they, they, they have higher, whether that's Devontae Wyatt at Georgia, you know, you look at Travis Jones at UConn, who's who had such a great sort of postseason in terms of the senior bowl and the combat. You go to linebacker. Is it N'Kobe Dean? Is it Devin Lloyd? Is it, you know, it's really interesting. And and, and you talk about Source Gardner, the corner group, you know, it feels like Gardner's going to come off the board first. But in amongst that, you've got an Andrew Booth Jr. You've got a Kyler Gordon. You've got a Derek Stingley. You've got, a, you know, a Trent McDuffie. You've got Roger McCreary. You've got the the alarm kid at florida there are all sorts of um you know the the gap between these players it, it, it seems so small this year and it feels like players are all over the board in terms of each individual team's board um so and i think you can flip that on offense as well whether that's running back whether that's Brees hall or kenneth walker or brian robinson or isaiah spiller and same with receiver we talked about those guys with williams and garrett wilson and larvae and Traylon burks and you know you get out sky Moore and christian watson and, yeah, yeah. you know all these yeah. guys you know it's like some you know i heard today i mean i love the kid abraham lucas the right tackle out of yep. state i mean I, I think he's a i think he's a legit first rounder i've watched him for three years i think he's a really really good player but mike garofolo of nfl network uh, two hours ago did something on the NFL Network where he said, you know, this is a kid who's probably having as many visits as anybody in the league. He's got 12 visits, six private workouts. He said, and now I'm being told by teams that he's moving into the bottom part of the first round, you know. So is this that pre-draft sort of hype machine, that the smoke machine that you never believe anything you hear in the last couple of weeks of the draft? Or, or, or is that legit? Because he certainly feels like that kind of area for me. So it's really interesting to see what's happening and, you know, where the consensus lies. And I don't think we'll truly find out to a draft. I think there'll be a lot of shocks as well. I agree because right at the top there, even you just take the three premier tackles that everyone talks about, right? Quan O'Neill and Cross. It's like, I don't think it's a bad class. I think all those three guys are studs. So it's particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I know those are the three OTs. It is like they're all just really good. It's not like you're saying, oh, trying to figure out who is going to be good at this group. I'm not so sure it's a flaky group. You go through all those position groups. You mentioned Nicobe Dean and Lloyd there. That's just two studs. It's yeah, like, which absolutely. do you prefer? And so much of this now... I try not to repeat all ground here because Will and I covered it a lot in the in the, the main gridiron show yesterday. How the bifurcation between the NFL game and the college game on the defensive side of the ball with the alignments of safeties, the different front structures they use in college now, which bears no resemblance to the, the pro game of the last three years, you are going to get real scheme fit based stuff where a guy on Detroit's board will not be anywhere near what he's like on the Saints board because mm. they're playing two completely different styles of yep. run fits and how they figure out who fits up into those run fits is based purely on whiteboard stuff and then them visiting them and going through their own pre-draft stuff it's got nothing to do with watching the game film because they're running an alien structure to what those two teams run which is diametrically opposed from one another so you really got to get where if we went through our big boards now we would probably go with 19 guys where we'd be like he should probably be a, a top 10 pick he yeah. should probably be a top 10 pick and so a bunch of those guys are not going to go in the top 10 and two quarterbacks are which is going to push those guys even further down and it has that sense where with every single pick we'll be doing a reaction show afterwards going that's a steal that's a steal what a great fit what yeah. a steal it's funny as well you mentioned those three tackles because i spoke to a scouting director for a team that has a pick in the 20s who's not going to get to one of those three tackles pretty much unless you know we have a laramie tunsil type situation <laughs> and i don't think there's any gas masks that are um you know that are going to be kicking around on draft night but you know we talked about Iki Kwanu, the, the the left tackle at, at nc state and i said to him look where would you play him and he said essentially we'd give him every opportunity to fail at left tackle but if he's not a left tackle He's a Larry Allen type, all pro kind of candidate, a left guard. And it's not the worst thing in the world that, yeah, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't work out of the position that we want him to work out, but you're still getting a really good player who's going to be a really good player at a position. And yeah, it's not a premier position like left tackle, but it's still somewhere you just don't have to worry about plug and play starter. And if he doesn't work out left tackle, you know, you can put him straight in at left guard and away you go. So it's, it's fascinating to see how it's going to play out. All right, then we'll begin the discussion with the Jags first overall mm. pick and it's a real tough one for them because every single one of these spots we're going to have the same conversation of 
they could pick any of six guys. It makes sense. Those are six really good players. There's not a surefire guy who you say you have to go take Aiden Hutchinson. I get why Aiden Hutchinson is the favorite culture changer. You always need pass rushes. He fits that perfectly. They obviously address a lot of the offensive line issues in free agency. But man, it would still be fun to see them say, let's just go get the most dominant offensive line possible, hand that to Trevor Lawrence, and we'll figure the defensive side of the ball out over the next two, three years. Yeah, and I kind of, we literally just made the point there about the offensive line. You know, I'm I'm intrigued by Trent Balker's praise of Cam Robinson and the fact they re-signed him. I thought he'd, he'd hit free agency, you know. And so you have to wonder, do they believe he's the long-term option at, at left tackle? So does that rule out Evan Neal or do they, you know, what is that situation? Does that mean they're just completely now focusing on, on, on edge rusher? And then we hear today that, you know, there are teams that are talking about, um, about um, whether or not Hutchinson will go off the board first or whether or not actually um, the kid from Georgia is going to go before him. And you think, you know, again, is this kind of part of that pre-draft hype where everybody's sort of breaking down everybody to try and get, you know, people, the information's going out to agents to try and, you know, knock down a Aiden Hutchinson to build up a Trayvon Walker. And so I, I personally think it won't be offensive line. Um, I, I think it will be, I, I absolutely think it'll be edge. And I think it'll probably be one of those two, Walker or, I could see Balky just going for, for Walker. And I mean, the talk about him saying that he reminded him of Alden Smith, that's not the player I see. I mean, <laughs> that, that frightens me. That if, if that's what Trent Balker really thinks, I mean... I mean, I worry for Jacksonville anyway with Trent Balker. The hell, yeah. that, would, that would really make me worry um, because that's not the player that I see on on tape at all. You know, he is not that. He is not Alden Smith on on any level. He's a really great player, but he's not Alden Smith. Um, this is where it comes down to to what is happening in that organization. You've yeah. got Trent running the thing still, ostracizing. He sat in every job interview where everyone over the other side of the table said, I will come here if he leaves. It's such a bizarre situation. <laughs> and they said, okay, then we'll find the one person willing to work with the guy sat next to me. And then he'll probably leave in a year. It's so strange. And we know his MO is he just does not care about college production, right? He said, go yeah. get me athletic freaks. Absolutely. The reason we're picking at the top is we are not quick enough. That's why you lose in the NFL. You yeah. don't keep up athletically. So go get me an athletic freak. And I think Aiden Hutchinson, you know, he falls into all the classic white guy cliches that people will throw at him, you know, hustle and wins with energy. And a lot of that is also true, you know, yeah. but he does certainly have springs. So you can make all the case in the world. He can be a different rip guy for you. But man, I, I would not at all be flawed if he said, I'm going to take Neil and we'll figure out which one of him and Robinson plays tackle, which one plays guard. We don't really care. Same if he takes Cross and he just thinks Cross is the best pure pass protector in the class. And he says, I got this Trevor Lawrence guy. I'm going to go get the best pure pass protector. We'll figure the rest out later. Or like you said, he says Walker is just, to him, the springiest edge rusher in the class, the most explosive, can play so many multiple spots across the front. He, to me, is the most freakish of a lot of them. And that's who he takes. So they really could go anyway, which three weeks ago, it seemed pretty clear that they decided and leaked out there that Hutchinson was the guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I know we're talking about top tens, but I'm intrigued as they go further down the board because, you know, they've got a new DC in Mike Caldwell. You know, it's like that Todd Bowles school of, you know, outstanding off-ball linebackers, you know, and and probably the one of the best sort of tandems of off-ball linebackers in, in football over the last 10 years, last five years, certainly. And you kind of think, you know, later on, you know they're gonna they're gonna get a really good inside linebacker fall into their into their um, hands, but I, I just think I just think it just makes too much sense to help. I mean the defensive line is just I mean the offensive line is regularly and it's stunning that we're sitting here talking about how bad their lines are given how much money they've just spent in free agency. I mean that just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but I think you know Josh Allen needs more help to shine. And I think you pair him up with a Walker, you pair him up with a Hutchinson. And I think, you know, both of those guys, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, day, absolute first install, day one starter. You know, you're not going to have to, he's not going to come in and start playing, you know, sub packages. Every he, He's going to start from day one unless he gets injured in camp or, you know, he's advanced mentally, Walker the same, you know, physically, mentally advanced. These are hardworking kids. They'll, you know, soak up, you know, both guys. You talk to people around both organizations, they soak up playbooks, they understand scheme. So, I just think for me, can you like can you see the fan base and can you see the reaction if they take Evan Neal and then they say, oh yeah, Evan's going to be our starting left guard? 
it is troublesome. It is troublesome. You, you have to immediately send out someone fans respect, like you hire a Mayock on a PR kick to say, oh, you just draft good football players and you yeah. figure the rest out later. You have to do some kind of PR briefing like that. The only thing with Hutchinson for them, I guess, and your DC point is a good one, is uh, I'm not sure what they want to be on defense. I don't think Hutchinson necessarily in any way pigeonholes you schematically because he can just get off the ball and that's yeah. all that really matters. But he is certainly a edge player who he's going to play on the edge. Can he do big edge stuff and kick inside and be the masher on stunts? I, I'm sure he can. He, they did plenty of games, uh, but the two-man game between him and Ajabo at Michigan. But Walker does give them more versatility depending on whatever it is they have in their mind they want to be. Do they want to be one of these teams who's really modern, all the overloaded fronts, all the zone pressures? Because if that's who you want to be, taking Hutchinson, it almost becomes a waste at the first overall pick at that point because you would just want to send that guy in a four-man San Fran-style pass rush, right? So yeah, they already brought in Arden Key. As you mentioned, they have Allen. So it's like that does become the question of who do they want to be on defense. If they're just a four-man get-off-and-go team and they're not going to be doing all the zone and more creative stuff, take Aiden Hutchinson, don't worry about it until later. If they want to be a bit more flexible, a bit more modern, maybe that's where they start talking themselves into a walker. Yeah, and like, walk, to me, Walker's arguably got the highest ceiling of any player in the draft. You know, and for people who are tuning in who haven't seen him a lot, you know, you get versatility, you get speed, you get power, you get this ridiculous off the charts athletic ability. You know, I mean, there's there's games. You watch the Alabama game. He takes on Evan Neal as this kind of combo block of Evan Neal and and the tight end Cameron Latu, who'll be a you know one of the better rated tight ends next year. You know, stuns the pair, locks out on Neal with just one arm. You know, holds him, rips away, rips away off Latu. Like shoves, I mean, Neil's what 336 pounds, yeah, shoves him away to his right, takes two steps to his left, and then absolutely rips down Brian Robinson, who I think was 227 at the senior bar, 227 at the combine. Yeah, it's, it's an astonishing, you know, his was it the fastest ever 40 for an edge rusher over 270 pounds, the 11th best broad jump, and fourth best three kind of all time for, for a, a man of his size. I mean, the guy's an athletic freak. Um, and but, the, the only knock on him is the dipping, right? Is like, oh, does yeah. he dip as well? And He's not I, I bendy. No, and I was talking to a team executive today who made a really interesting point about they did a commissioned a big study about where quarterback landmarks are on dropbacks, which I understand is very nerdy and in the weeds, and I won't bore you with the density of it too much. But essentially, the ball is coming out so much quicker now than it was two years ago. It's about 2.3 seconds on average around the league, and that the depth of uh, release is right around 2.73 yards. So it's all quick game on average in the NFL now, right? Because a lot of it's from the gun and you just take one hop and you get the ball out. So that idea of having the, you know, in your mind, you go, okay, it's a number one overall pick has to be Von Miller. He dips and loops around the edge. And what makes him special is he can also convert speed to power. Oh, look, I now have Miles Garrett. That's what you kind of have in your mind is the first overall pick. And we're kind of looking for that guy, right? Is it Jermaine Johnson? Aiden Hutchinson, is he is he quite bendy enough? Ajabo's really bendy. He's got the injury. Does he convert speed to power? We're all looking for that kind of archetype. And yet in two seconds, you don't really have time to run the loop anymore. Yeah. You kind of do have to do the Trey Hendrickson thing that's made him really effective of widen your alignment, run through someone's face mask, and just kind of get in the guy's face and try and win inside with power. So the knock on Walker, I think the league is evolving in a way that really does help him out. And as I'm discussing, oh. I'm more and more talking myself into, man, we can play him inside. He can stump from the outside. We can put him at wide nine and really collapse the pocket from the edge. So look how much Kirby Smart dropped him into coverage. You watch that Florida game. You know, he's dropping back in between, you know, Channing Tindall and Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean and, and making a diving interception attempt, not the ball in the air, that's then caught by one of those lines. Or maybe Lewis Sign, one of the guys, you know, on the back end makes the interception. You're just like... This guy is 275 pounds and six foot five. And yet, you know, maybe five years time, you, you might be looking at one of the most kind of complete defenders in the NFL in terms of what he does and also schematically how the NFL is evolving. It's just, it's very interesting. And like you talk about Johnson, I mean, we'll get to him, but I was at the senior bowl practices and, you know, watching him with Kelvin Shepard, who's the Lions inside linebacker coach, you know, they're running some drills with the edge defenders with the Boye Mafe and with Kingsley Enigbari and, and, just being up close to him and watching him physically, he's just different. He just oh, yeah. moves differently. He's so long. He's, his arms are so long. He's just like, you know, people talking about Mafe going in the bottom half of the first round. You know, Enigbar has got work to do in terms of, you know, he's got upside, but, but he was just, yeah, he's different. He is a really good player. Yeah, if he does not go in the top 10, just based on pure deal. 
they look at him and they say, yeah, you don't build guys like that in the lab even. Um, so I guess what we have to do then is say, who would you take and who we think they take? The, the Hutchinson thing is so funny. He has like the highest floor in the draft. You know what you're getting with him, like you said. But the, I just think to myself, even as a as an evaluator at home or if I was in the building, like, do I get the flutters in the belly about selecting Aiden Hutchinson first overall? Or is it really fun to drop a Walker grenade right at the top of the first round and then everyone has a meltdown? Um, I, I don't think you can go wrong with either, though, do you? I mean, no, no, no. like, uh, this is boring, but I always just draft good players. Mm-hmm. Just select good players, you know, guys that were really good in college, that are good off the field, that work hard, that have a great work ethic, that can move, that are strong. They, that's what these two guys are. Yeah, they're not like, you know, they're not hugely sexy, but they're just really, they just come, like Aiden Hutchinson in a way reminds me of um, uh, for, former Bengals and, and went to the 49ers, Justin um, Smith. Smith, lighter, obviously, but he, in terms of what he will give you, 10, 12 years of really solid, high-level football, you know, he'll get to the quarterback, he'll play the run, he'll be a great kid off the field, all those sorts of things. You know, will he go to the Hall of Fame because he has 110 sacks? Maybe not. But will he have a fantastic career where you just look at him and go, this guy just did everything we asked, he played really well, he was just a really solid... <laughs> And he was a really solid citizen. He was a really solid person. He was a great leader. He was a great, he was just was everything that we asked for across 10 years. And I don't think there's anything bad in that. You know, I don't know. No, not, not when you've just come from a culture where your head coach has been kicking your kicker. Yeah. I mean, so, you saw, and you saw Travis Etienne today say, if there was one year that I could have had off, it was last year <laughs> under Urban Meyer. I mean, you know, having torn his, torn his Achilles or torn his ACL or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, exactly right. Exactly right. All right, then. So who would you select and who do you think they'll select? I, oh, that's such a good question. I think they'll select Walker. And actually, I probably would select him too. Wow. Wow. Okay. I I think that they will just, oh, do I? I think they will default (laughs) to Hutchinson. I think they will. I think that they'll get in a meeting and Shad Khan will say, I want the guy who has been number one on big boards every day. I've been reading stuff on my PJ flying around America back and forth from London. Just take that guy and we'll figure the rest out. He seems like a good guy. As you said, it's just, you know, he's going to be good for seven sacks and anything else is a bonus. I think I'd take Evan Neal. I think I'd take whoever is at the top of my, my line board. I have Evan Neal as the first guy. I'd, I, if you took cross or a I would also high five the room. Um, both are elite players. I would just say, I want to build a track meet team for this season and next season, and then we'll figure defense out over time. I do think this notion you can Bengals a defense, right? You just go and find guys, second contract guys, third contract last year guys. I think you can do that on the defensive side of the ball over two, three seasons. If you have a clear vision of what you want your defense to be, to be elite on offense, you need dynamite players at certainly four positions. And so if you have a chance to go get one with the first overall pick, I think that's what I do. Interesting. Okay, well, Detroit. We will speed this up, by the way, people. We're not gonna we're not gonna roll twenty five minutes on every pick. Detroit's a fascinating one. I've I've been on this kick this last week of really trying to make them be a trade partner with Carolina because they are going to land a unbelievable player no matter what in either the second spot or the sixth spot. So I feel like given how many needs they have, I mean, you can go edge rusher, right? They could look at quarterback here or more likely the thirty first pick in the draft. They need the whole defensive backfield needs redoing and they could look at Kyle Hamilton. But I think any of those elite guys you go through, if you say to yourself, okay, I love Cross, I love Hutchinson, I love Thibodeau, I love Kyle Hamilton, you start rattling through the names, well, they would also be there at six or seven or eight or nine. So if I'm Detroit, my my first instinct would be to say, all these players are excellent. Let's gather another asset. This is a long-term rebuild and an asset that might allow us to get from 31 back up to, I don't know, 20, 21. If those receivers go off the board and someone in that range doesn't get the receiver they want, I would be trying to get as much flexibility with my second pick, knowing no matter what, I'm getting an elite player in that top 10 range. Yeah, I mean, if Aiden Hutchinson isn't the first pick, then I don't think there's been a player born <laughs> who best suits or better suits Dan Campbell than Aiden Hutchinson. You know, local kid, Michigan kid, dad played at Michigan. You know, is there a more perfect fit for, for Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions than Aiden Hutchinson? So I think if if the Jaguars do surprise, they go Neil, they go Walker, whatever, I, you know, I, I think you they'll absolutely run to the – they'll run to the – um. To the podium. I mean, I I think for me, you've just got to look at that 
that defensive line list, and I'll just pop my glasses on so I can read it. But Eric Banks, Michael Brockers, Jay Sean Cornell, Bruce Hector, and then it, obviously Aline McNeil on Wazariki and John Pen- Penisini are their defensive linemen. I mean, I don't think you can look anywhere else than that position. No, I think there's a tendency with people, right? And he was he was the favorite there for a, like a fortnight stretch, just the way these things work. We all get into group thinking we just find consensus for a fortnight. Then someone <laughs> says something different and we all shift our opinions too. You know, there was the Kyle Hamilton thing, as you mentioned before, will it be the highest safety's ever drafted? And because of his versatility, 6'4", middle of the field range, this is a player who could genuinely be someone who... It transforms what we expect from that position because of the way the game is going. Someone who can kick down into the box, who can slide into the slot, who at 6-4, if you isolate him on the backside of coverage in 3 by one it would not be that wild. He can body up anyone, basically, and then, of course, can play from the middle of the field. So the, you can talk yourself into that, but I don't know how I think of team building. At those premier assets whether it's a big contract in for agency or it's a top 10 draft pick you have to impact the line of scrimmage in the first three seconds that's yeah. just where the nfl is now and as much as i think kyle hamilton is an unbelievably special player when you read off those lists of names and the defensive line what's going to happen here is you're going to take an all-time special safety and you'll all be out of a job in two years because you couldn't impact the ball until it was <laughs> past his ear hole basically yeah i agree i mean you know hamilton long athletic great instincts you know <laughs> 64219 ran a 4.59, and people are suddenly like talking about, oh, he's slow. And he can't, you know, I saw one draft analyst, well known draft analyst today, saying he can't get sideline to sideline. He's stiff. And it's like, dude, I mean, tell me you've, tell me you've watched like the Florida State game, or tell me you watched the, the Clemson game, or, you know, because this is a guy that can just, you know, get across three quarters of the field to make a diving pick on the sideline, not just, you know, half field. Um, so he is, um, he is a really good player, but I just think it, it it has to be defensive line, you know, and whether that's Thibodeau, whether that's Hutchinson, whether that's Walker, I think it's got to be one of those guys. I, I don't think with Taylor Decker and with, with Panay Sewell, you, you look at the offensive line. I think two is way too high for Source Gardner. I, I think two is too high for a quarterback. Um, I, I think it's got to be defensive line and best available defensive line. If Aiden Hutchinson falls, it has to be Hutchinson. And I think if it's not, the battle becomes Walker or Thibodeau. And, you know, it just depends on where they have them, them, um, you know, ranked. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I would take Hutchinson. I expect, obviously, if he's there, they'll certainly take him um, on draft night. I, I do think that is what will happen. Um, I know I don't because I said before Hutchinson will go first overall. <laughs> so I thought they'll take Walker. I they scream as the team that's leaked, as we discussed on a recent show about Thibodeau, that they also have the same Nick Casario thing where that they so believe in the football guy principle of life that, that they do not like that Kayvon Thibodeau likes to I don't know engage on Instagram or whatever is great crime against footballers. Um the third he read, pick... he read a book apparently is. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He read some philosophy and now he's excommunicated. Do you just want to queue up game. the third pick? Because embarrassingly, I've got four percent battery on my laptop. No, no. And I have to have the char I've just thought the charger's downstairs, which is very annoying. So uh just talk about yourself. I can fill a bluster. Uh the, well the third pick is obviously the Texans who need absolutely everything. Um, you, they could go quarterback themselves, or they seem to be all on Davis Mills. They need to take whatever offensive lineman is available and has two legs and two arms. They need to take defensive linemen who have two legs and two arms. And all those guys that Sinai have just mentioned there, you can rattle through Kayvon Thibodeau, Charles Cross. If Hutchinson is available, Ikemakwanu. And it, where the Texans are, I think, neatly hits on the point I was making earlier about how there are so many players in this class who you would gladly take in the top five in any year. You know, literally, I think I, I go down from Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, Charles Cross, Aiden Hutchinson, Ifkema Kwanu, Kyle Hamilton, Derek Stingley, Tyler Lindenbaum, Jamison Williams, and Jordan Davis are guys. That's my first 10 guys on my board who I have on my um, scouting chart as premier players, which means should be an all pro within two years. Now, you go positional value in Tyler Lindenbaum is a center out of Iowa, who I, I think is an unbelievable prospect. You're not taking that guy third overall, but it's not usual you get 10 guys with that kind of grade. Most years, you usually get three, I would say, mm-hmm. and then you get one or two quarterbacks you really like, and that naturally inflates them into being, you, at least in this, the system I use from SI Scouting, which is a service where I've worked for eight years. That That kind of the way we do things it's tipped towards them um it's a weighted scale and so you would push some quarterbacks up size back si how are you hello 
we're just we're just nattering about the Houston Texans here. Um, what I was saying was that they are a perfect example of there being, I think, you could, well, at least on my board, I have 10 premier prospects, which is an unusual amount in any given year. And so to be sat with a third overall pick when you have needs at O-line, needs at D-line, needs every single place on the football field, you probably couldn't be happier if you then. And I do think that they will take someone, even though what's in their best interest is probably to move that pick to whoever wants a quarterback. Yeah, to me, it's got to be a movable pick. Um, and it may be that, that there are teams lower down that that see, you know, the Jets with a couple of picks, the Giants with a couple of picks, and think maybe we need to get up to three to get a Thibodeau, you know, if to, to get up to three to get a Hamilton, depending on what happens. Um, and as far as the Texans, if they stay there, you know, I, I suspect you could just put a blindfold on Nick Casario and get him to chuck a dart and wherever it lands, they'll they'll take the pick because that's just how many holes there are. I mean, the whole rebuild has been slightly wayward maybe um I, I yeah the one question for me over the texans is there seems to be over the last 18 months a sort of question mark over laramie tunsil and whether or not he'll stay whether or not they'll move him in a year that was talking might get traded this off season and you wonder whether or not you know that's something that they have in the pipeline and they just bring an evan neal in and put him at left guard or you know um and then have him as a long-term replacement it doesn't seem like a, a particularly you know it's sort of subtraction addition by subtraction kind of thing but i kind of can't really work out what's going on in houston anyway so maybe you know that wouldn't be a surprise um i don't know i i just think to me this is a prime you know nick sarah's got to be working the phone to try and move down because i just don't think that um i just don't think this is a, a, a somewhere where they can maximize what they need i just think you're you know you've missed out on potentially those edge rushers do you bring in a tackle and then are you thinking you know as good as Hamilton is with the third overall pick is that too high for a for a safety do you want to go corner it's just you know that feels too high for me for Gardner um you know it's um I I would be moving down pretty quickly it's another one for me and I don't know if this just shows my my come up from when I was in the scouting world and all the old heads I was around but I really do think about man it's hard to take an off-ball player at third overall just because impact in the line of scrimmage as I reference is when you're as bad as they are with that many holes you know Detroit at least has a really solid offensive line so if they want to talk themselves into Kyle Hamilton you know I I can kind of understand the reasoning there um if I'm them I'm looking purely at nonsense rah-rah culture stuff too now i love cave on yeah. i think Kevin is the second best player in the class if he was there for me at number three i'd take him i'd say right i've got a great get off and go guy for the next five years and hopefully become something special if he's really into this football thing and if not it was a absolutely fine value play talent makes sense in that spot but if i am doing the the culture game and you know when nick casera and all that stuff i think you bring in nick Aquano. And he wants to just smash everyone in the face from the first day steps on the field and probably goes to the Pro Bowl in year one or year two. That to me screams of them. He is so violent in the run game and yet is a adorable, lovely human being off the yeah. field. What what more could you possibly want from at least what they've kind of put out there, what they're looking for in a football team, which is this rugged, hard nosed stuff, doing all the New England stuff. But then also you've got to be, you know a good guy off the field so i think aquanu uh, matches up quite well there i mean aquanu i mean this is a guy who played guard in high school and and to me i personally think his best position will be at guard you know i think like i said earlier he'll start a tackle i think he might move inside to guard and there's some tape i feel very uncomfortable with um uh, of his left tackle there's also tape where he looks fantastic but he ran the anchor leg on his prep four by 400 meter relay squad at 286 pounds and ran a 52 37 i mean <laughs> what world you know he's hit 80 miles now on the gps you know he is a um his brother's a linebacker his father played college basketball in nigeria his mum was a track athlete he's named after ricky woods um like you say he's a great kid he <laughs> he's a massive fan of musical theater which is absolutely of no relevance whatsoever to his final draft position but i just find it fantastic he played pongo in 101 dalmatians which to me is one of the greatest pieces of draft pre-draft information you'll ever find um but yeah i mean i <laughs> I'm going to throw a, a Cleland Ferrell type um, edge bomb in here. Does Jermaine Johnson figure as high as three? I think so. 
I think that I think like we said, all these guys are in play. And I know it sounds daft and it sounds like crappy analysis. I think that's part of why draft coverage across the whole media landscape has suffered this year. One, we don't have great quarterbacks. But it's like how how often can you say all these players are really good? The team's gonna take the guys they like the most. But when you got have all these guys coming for pre-draft visits and Jermaine Johnson walks in the building, you just look at yourself and go, that guy's going to Pro Bowl. Do you want to yeah. play against that guy? Do you want the guy on our team? He's just one of those guys. And for, the thing with Jermaine Johnson for me is the, the length with the pad level, which I know to people sounds nerdy, but it's like it is rare to see someone with that long arms convert to power the way he does he was at his most dominant against miami yeah. as the power player with the build of swan you would say it's shane ray it's dip and rip it's first step quickness and then he fights someone off because they can't get their pad their hand on his pads because his arms are longer than the other guys yeah. but he is right up for the fight and and adding that piece to his game where i do think he struggles in the run game he's not overly vicious but man does he fight for it with the third overall pick right is a a pass rush who gets us double digit sacks and makes life hell in the pocket and we'll figure the other stuff out later we can go get ourselves a nose and get him clean on the edge if he's this special you know you can scheme around having a dominant pass rusher that's the most fun time to scheme on defense so i i absolutely think that's in play they 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 will do something unusual because yeah. that's this team and they are right in the Mayock Gruden zone of taking their guy yeah. who whatever it is on their board ends up being, you know, way higher than everyone else. You talk about that Miami game. There's a Miami's left tackle Zion Nelson who'll be in next year's draft, but probably a day two prospect if he has a, a solid year. You know, he is dominant against Nelson. I mean, there's a play where he, he literally lifts him up with one arm and walks him back into Tyler Van Dyke. And you're like, what I mean, is this guy human? Then on the other side, Jared Williams, the right tackle. I mean, he it's like watching a deer on roller skates, like a baby deer on roller skates. He kind of it's like he's on a fairground ride, he gets spun around so much. He's on the waltzer. Um, I actually think he doesn't play too badly against the, the run. I think he sets a pretty hard edge, he's got a good base, he's just so long, he just like he keeps himself clean, he can lock himself out um in terms of arms. Um, but I mean, when it comes push comes to shove, if Thibodeau's on the board, I kind of feel like he's got to be the guy if they don't trade down. So um, before you ask the question, I will say that Kayvon Thibodeau will be a Houston Texan. Wow. Wow. I would not imagine that. That's crazy. They could be the team doing an, an insane number of leaks against him just to try and get him there. Yeah. That, that, that yeah. is certainly possible. Uh, let's move on to the Jets. All defense here has yeah. to be. Has to be, and you can pick any level at this point. You look at the board that we kind of have available there, the way we've been talking. You can go and say, Do you love Ahmad Gardner or Derek Stingley, even with the injury? Do you love Adrian Andrew Booth? Do you love Kyle Hamilton? Do you want to go take one of those edge rushes? I mean, they actually have a pretty decent defensive front. But Robert Sala's whole thing is, I need eight guys. Don't yeah. get me four, get me eight, and we'll cycle them through and we will crush you with pass rush. So they could really go anyway, but I imagine it will be on defense. Yeah, and I think you're you you're if you're Robert Salah, you are in a division now where all of a sudden you look at the Miami Dolphins and if you want to you know if you want to beat the Miami Dolphins, you want to beat the Buffalo Bills, you're gonna have to cover. You're gonna have to cover Jalen Waddle, you're gonna have to cover Tyreek Hill, you're gonna have to cover Stephon Diggs. You know, the, I, I don't think the Patriots are done at receiver, but you know they've got receiving talent. They just brought in Devonte Parker, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're gonna have to cover. Four feels. Even their four feels too high for me for Gardner, but at some point he's going to have to come off the board and they need corner help. You know, I mean, um, the kid out of Virginia has begun to look, you know, I know he had the ankle injury before before the draft, um, Bryce Hall, um, but I think you're going to have to look for corner, unless, you know, I know they're only picking fourth, but unless there's a, a spectacular fall or Salah's just fallen in love with somebody that will remind him of somebody he's had before that can get to the quarterback. Um, but I just think in that division, you're going to have to, you know, and in that conference, you, know, you want to get ahead in the in the AFC. You look at all the, the the talent, the quarterback talent that's over in the AFC now, and you're going to have to cover. You've got to cover. You look at the best teams in the AFC and in the NFL, they can cover. Whether that's Green Bay with Stokes and Alexander, whether that's Miami with Howard and Jones. Look around the league; there, you know, there's great corners everywhere. So, it would not surprise me if they took Source Gardner here. No, me neither. I I look at my board right now and I'm seeing I got Derek Stingley seventh overall. I don't have the medical file though. You know, right. I, I don't have a look at those x-rays and I would really want to have a look at those x-rays before I made that pick. And based on where I'm seeing him selected by people who, who at least have agent intel, it, it's probably likely to be mid to latter half of the first round, even then it yeah. will be in the very top. So uh, I do think it comes down to Source Gardner versus exactly what you said there. Has Robert Seller fallen in love with one of these edge rushes and probably knowing him, he's fallen in love with eight of them. Right? Yeah. And it's Absolutely. who is the power player in that building? 
that's what this pick comes down to to me because if it's his way, he's taking an edge guy. They could always use my edge help, and Kayvon Thibodeau in his setup would get me all kinds of tingly. That is about as fun as it gets. Same as we mentioned Jermaine Johnson there. If Walker's there, whoever the, the top edge guy is, and I think particularly for him, as we saw what he did with Taron Armstead and all those guys there with Bosa and even with the dip and rip guys like bringing an Arden key off the street and all of a sudden, you know, he's a really good player. I do think he wants some of that in-out, big edge versatility. That's kind of the thing they do, right? Is you'd never know. They send four guys into the field. You have no idea where those guys are aligning. Yeah. That, that's kind of his specialty. So if he sees someone he thinks can have that in-out versatility, I think they absolutely come off the board. And if he's not the true power player there, then I, then I think they do go corner. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I agree. There are going to be defensive linemen that he falls in love with. People thinking maybe will it, you know, people watching, will it, will they go offensive line? I, I, I don't think so. You know, whatever happens with Mackay Beckton, I think they're, they, they really like George Fan at left tackle. Obviously, they brought in Lakin Tomlinson. There's the, you know, the kid they took in the first year, uh, first round last year, Elijah Vera Tucker, um, and work their work out who's going to play at which guard spot. Um, I don't think... I, I would have no problem with that. You know, if they think Charles Cross is the best player in the draft and they also have 10. Maybe you take uh, one and maybe yeah, you just... I just think they really like Fanta on the left side, and I don't think they like him particularly on the right side. So, but you no, know. I, I agree with you. I, I but I, you know, if, if you think the best player in the draft is there, you sure, take him, sure, you figure the rest out point. later. Um, the, the, the other point on this is to me, this has got to be Joe Douglas, you know, this has got to be knocking this out of the, the park draft for, for, for Joe Douglas, the GM, hasn't it? I mean, oh, yeah, you know, it's for want of a better word, it's crap or get off the pot kind of time for for um i don't know if we're swearing are we i mean yes uh, you know, always okay. we'll get off the pot you know it's um it's time it's time for joe douglas so all right well, what i think we'll do is we'll wrap up with the two giants picks because we can just cover them together we'll hit on the panthers and then we can wrap up the, the inaugural show because panthers will have a bit of quarterback talk the giants then we'll we'll start with five but if you want to do five and seven together i guess the first thing is do you think they will take both are they auctioning here because it's the panthers territory are the steelers going to come all the way up there is someone going to try and get ahead of the panthers to be in this quarterback game and they drop from five knowing they've got seven no matter what so they could maybe still get the player they would select at five anyway if someone's coming up to get a quarterback and or the Panthers are taking a, a QB after them. Or do you just say, you know, you kind of they're not the David Gettin organization anymore. I know that, but they are the New York football giants. They yep. always believe in those principles. And if you can tell me today, hey, Ollie, you can get one of Neil Cross or Aquanu at five, and then at seven, you're probably going to get one of Walker, Hutchinson, um Thibodeau, Johnson yeah. Thibodeau Johnson it's like yes that is what I want to do is I want to come away with two top 10 picks having a lineman I love on both sides of the ball yeah I, I think it's such an interesting discussion that they're obviously going to be having in their draft room because you, you're literally going to be looking there and saying look we come away with Evan Neal and we plug him in at left guard next to next to Andrew Thomas and we come away with Jermaine Johnson and we plug him in as a day one starter on that defensive line or we auction that pick you know, we've got five picks in the top 100. We auction that pick off to the highest bidder, whether that's a Pittsburgh coming up from Malik Willis or or whoever. Um, knowing that they're sort of punting into 2023 when there's a CJ Stroud and a Bryce Young and a Tyler Van Dyke and a Will Levis because you're wondering what's happening with Daniel Jones, right? You know, Philadelphia and Miami, the two teams in the first round next year with with multiple first round picks in, in, in what feels like 12 months away as potentially a quarterback heavy draft. Um you know, they are in a situation where they could punt ahead to next year, knowing that they've got seven plus four more picks in the top 100 to, to do some damage in a draft that's got some real quality between 40 and 100. Um, so I think that's the that's the the argument internally that they will have, especially with a new GM and a new coach who know that if they do get this wrong or it doesn't quite go according to plan, they're not in the hot seat at the moment. So very interesting situation. I, I personally probably would just come away with, you know, if you can get an Iquana, you can get a Neil, you can get a Jermaine Johnson, you get a Thibodeau. I mean, you get yourself out of the top 10. You've still got three more picks in the top 100 to do some damage with. You can move around, you can trade away, whatever. I think um, I, I think that's the way I would go personally. I agree with you. The, the math says they should get two elite players there. And so I would just do that. But you could definitely talk me into saying if they they could move down with, the, with one of those two picks, seven spots, let's just say. And with the defense, Wink Martindale is bringing in. If you just gave them, if you said to them, you leave the draft with one of those top 
seven picks, you get an elite tackle and you get Jordan Davis, which I think they can do by moving one of those picks and coming down. That probably fits what they want to do even better than just getting an elite edge defender, a guy who's going to just dominate, gobble up blocks so that everyone else is one-on-one. Wink Martindale's system is about scheming up pressure anyway. You don't necessarily need an all-dominant, all-pro guy off the edge. Um, Let's wrap up then with the Panthers. Are they going to do this? They're going to have to do this. They they are going to take Kenny Pickett, I believe, sixth overall in the draft. They'll take Kenny Pickett, and if not Malik Willis, which I can almost talk myself into only from the vantage point of the fact that they all know they're getting fired. But because as much as I love Neil Aquano, all the guys we discussed, Cross, those are the guys you would want to take in that spot. It's like, does that really in any way change things for them? Is it not just better to just go and take a player who is probably bad and hope for the best? I suppose the one question is because there is still a quarterback out there in Jimmy Garoppolo who potentially will get moved. It's got to be a question mark. They've got to have the discussion in the in the front office in Carolina as to because that to me is what it comes down to. You know, can we trade for a Jimmy Garoppolo or are we essentially backed into a position where we have to take Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis? Um, now I know what I do, and I'm pretty sure I know what you do, but I think. Your first, what you said first of all there, I think is what they will end up doing. I think they'll take a quarterback. And if they take Kenny Pickett, then the whole game is gone, mate. The whole game is gone. But They won't see out the year. No, 100%, 100% not. Because you draft Kenny Pickett because you're saying he can operate the system year one. The only way you talk David Tepper into keeping your job in year one is taking Malik Willis yeah. and bringing David Tepper down to practice to watch him run, run in the open field and fizz balls to the second level and you just do a wink like, hey, looks pretty special, right? And you buy it, but he's not ready yet, David. You know, you have to give us eight weeks here. Yeah. That's the only way you buy yourself time. It's just that, that their roster construction on the offensive side of the ball is so bad that they've now backed themselves into a corner where they know the reason they've not done a Garoppolo deal is they know they will stink with Jimmy Garoppolo. They need someone who can sprinkle magic dust on an offense. That's why they went big game hunting for all the big game players because the rest of the offensive line in particular is so bad that you have to be magic to play behind that thing. And to think one of those guys will do that for you in year one is is crackers, but that's that's what they've backed themselves into. I love your Malik Willis point about saying to Tepper, look, you know, we'll, we're, you know, give us another year because it's going to be great. But the flip side of that is Tepper is not stupid and he will see, you know, a Kyle Hamilton having the Javon Holland kind of impact. He will see a Charles Cross having the kind of impact that Rashawn Slater, you know, had a year ago and think, we could have had those guys. And I, except I've got a quarterback who's now on the bench, a long way away from playing and Sam Donald's just thrown another pick. It's like, you know, that that's the end of the line, I think. So I personally would uh, would do anything but draft Kenny Pickett. <laughs> I would be inquiring heavily about the situation with Garoppolo, talking to doctors about that shoulder, trying to work out whether or not we can get a deal because I, I, I just do not want to find myself in a position where I have to draft Kenny Pickett sixth overall. Especially with so many good players still on the board, a Hamilton, a Stingley, a, a Quanu, a Neil, a Cross, a, you know, whoever, Jordan Davis, whatever. And the thing that's wild about it is it, it, uh, there cannot be a single person who's evaluated players, amateur person on his couch just watching Saturdays, all the way up to their entire scouting department who can tell me there's more than a slither of paper between whoever they think is the best and whoever will be available at the foot of the first round, if not the start of the yeah. second round. The value play in this draft at quarterback, and this will please Sai, is Carson Strong. is saying, mm-hmm. let's hope the knee holds up. Let's hope he learns some things in terms of pocket mobility, and let's hope for the best in the third round, because that's probably where you'll get him because of the medical. Yeah. The, the the top guy for me would be Malik Willis, and I would do that gamble in the first round if I was running a team. But the value play is for them to just go and get a lineman and then go and hope they can get Carson Strong in the third round and see what happens. But also, I think you're going to find yourself in a situation where if you do not take a quarterback at six, I can't think that they won't be in a situation where there won't be two or three quarterbacks still on the board. I just, I can't see other teams talking themselves into below par passes just because they need to. When ultimately, if they end up taking Matt Corral at twelve, or you know, you're going to you're putting yourself firmly in the hot seat in terms of your job security. I know there's a you know it's a quarterback league, and if you haven't got one. You haven't got one, but I, I, I don't know. I don't. Did Carolina pick early in the second round? I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, 
yeah the, I mean, the thing that's that's funny about it too is even the idea of drafting a qb just to save your job which is basically yeah. what they would be doing exactly. is even that mythical scenario we came up with whether at practice and they're going to step hey like this guy you know he's got some talent but it's gonna we have to Trey lance this thing for a season he's gonna be there rubbing his chin going well i could give you this guy if he looks talented or i could call bruce arians or sean payton and i'm one of the richest humans alive and yeah. make them a godfather offer who i know can develop quarterbacks not you matt rule yeah, uh, and Ben McAdoo, why is he stood here on the sideline I mean, with us? Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, if you wait into the early part of the second round, whatever you think of Sam Howell or whatever you think of, you know, Corral or whatever you think of Desmond Ridder, for example, who now feels like he might be going in the first round, you know, um, if they're there, then you take one at that point, it's far less of a risk and you've got yourself a really good player like a Carl Hamilton, like a Derek Stingley, like an Iquanu, like an Evan Neal, like a Jermaine Johnson, or whoever it is at that point that you can plug in a day one and have a real impact. Oh, and you've also, you know, got a quarterback that you can compete with against Sam Darnold in training camp and uh, and potentially push them out. I, I just, because there's, like you said, there's such a thin line, but whatever you think about Kenny Pickett, if you think he's the number one guy, the gap between Pickett at one and whoever you have at Sith Corral, Ridder, Strott, whatever, the gap isn't that big. And the only reason that Carson Strong isn't talked about, it, 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 like you said, is the medical. Um, and as you mentioned with um, with Stingley, we don't have access to that medical information. And therefore, you know, but it feels like nobody's talking about him in the first round. So it feels like agents are talking that, you know, the knee isn't amazing. But he didn't have to go back. I thought it was interesting that he didn't have to go back for extra checks. You know, you talk about Damone Clark, the LSU linebacker who's had to have the spinal surgery. You know, Strong hasn't, I haven't heard, it hasn't, you know, certainly hasn't come out that he's had to go back and have, you know, extra work done, extra tests, any sort of um, any sort of further surgery. So um, I just can't see a scenario where six quarterbacks go before Carolina pick again in the second round. And I, I did just remember they traded the second for Donald. Remember they oh, gave up a yeah, second yeah, for Donald. So it'll be the third, but the third, like you said, I, I, the, the math does not add up to think. So Atlanta's really going to, at some point say, let's take Sam Howell rather than just play Marcus Mario to free and get into a better quarterback class. Next. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. They would all consider it. If they had a late second round pick, like a second one or, a, or a third round pick. That's when you go, let's take a punt. That's where you do the Washington thing of taking Kirk Cousins after he took RG3 because who knows who's good in this league, right? Yeah. Uh, why you would feel the need to do a sixth overall when you cannot possibly believe it. You have not watched football if you watch Kenny Pickett and say, this guy is changing our, form our fortunes in year one. Maybe something happens with Kenny Pickett. He's one of these magical fellows where we can't see what's inside them and he'll have this amazing career and you know, go on to be great. It's not happening in year one. He is so far away in terms of processing and anticipation. It's not happening in that first year. So I, I just... Maybe he'll do it in the sixth year like he did at Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we just rattle quickly through? I know you said, should we just rattle quickly through Seattle and because if fans of Seattle and... Um... Sure. And uh, Atlanta are sitting here going, oh, you guys, I've, I've tuned in and listened to this. No, yeah. For Seattle, see conversation about Carolina taking a quarterback in the top yeah. 10. I don't, so I was talking to Rob Statton, who uh, if you're a Seahawks fan, you don't follow Rob, then you're absolutely missing out. But he's a great draft guy, great Seahawks guy. We were talking the other day, and he was saying that the the, the noise out of Seattle is absolutely they're not going to take a quarterback and that the, the whole kind of Drew Locke drumbeat for Drew is kind of a, a real thing, at least for a season, that, you know, they're they're going to roll with Drew Locke, certainly in the first round and talking about Stingley as a, as an absolute possibility. And it comes back to that medical, but it feels like Derek Stingley in Seattle would be a, a, you know, a good fit, a prime fit and, and feels like 10, you know, you're buying the, the, the 2019 season essentially because of the injury, because of the down form from, you know, the, from last year, but you go back and you're back in 2019 and, and people around the LSU, organization talking about those one-on-one -on -one battles that he was having with Jamar Chase and things in practice and uh you know going up against that that Alabama receiving core as he as, as he did famously in that in that big game um that finished 44-36 or whatever it was the Burrow to a battle um you know he's a he, he looks a terrific prospect so that that to me seems like a really good fit Derek Stingley in Seattle at that point I like that one. Kyle Hamilton is the guy I want there if I'm them. Wow. If, if I can get him and Quandre Diggs together. Well, what they did last year in Seattle is so interesting. They just completely ditched all of the Pete Carroll doctrine. You know, for years, yeah. everyone thought they could plug and play in what Pete Carroll was. They moved to a five-down bare front. They moved in the secondary 
high percentage per PFFs tracking more than any secondary in the league for the last three years. That's more than you see with Vance Joseph doing. That's more than you see with Todd Bowles. They move more than anyone pre to post snap, which never happened before for Pete Carroll. It was a static defense. They played four down, they played three deep, and everyone knew what they were running, and they just had better players than you. So they've completely shifted. So if you can say to him, you know, we've said before about where you would take one of those off-ball players in that top thing. I actually like their front. I think it's pretty good. They've certainly got some oomph. They could do with a genuine pass rusher, but if they're playing so much bear and they're bringing so much heat, it's it's not as as essential. If you can have Diggs and Hamilton who can play any position – Diggs is, an, is one of the finest free safeties in the league and they can move and rotate and you can put them in different spots and really disguise coverage. That That is about as saucy as, as a one-two partnership gets when you're just looking at who you could plug from the draft into a team now. The other interesting question, I suppose, will be depending on what they do with Dwayne Brown, who's still out there in terms of free agency, do they bring Brown back or is there a tackle that falls down to that point where they just can't pass pass them up? You know, who does Cross fall, for example? Does Cross get to to that pick? And, you know, they find that hard, hard to pass up. I, I love Charles Cross. To me, he's the best tackle in the draft. Um, you know, so I, I think it will be very interesting to see what they do. Um, and they could go any Again, Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, is John, does, does the, we, we talked about it on the main podcast, does the Thibodeau fall end up at Seattle and they just, you know, not the ideal, potentially the ideal scheme fit, but just somebody that they just can't pass up on the value in terms of, you know, what he's able to do and get around the edge and get to quarterbacks. And yeah, it will be interesting to see. And, and you kind of wonder, is this, you know, this feels like close to the last hurrah for John Schneider and for for um, for Pete Carroll, you know, so how how much of a bang do they go out? They're four or five picks in the top 100. So um, lots for Seattle to do, but, you know, lots of opportunity for them to do it. We'll wrap up with Atlanta then, who do pick before Seattle. We got excited then. And, and they've been linked to all kinds of wide receivers. And I love this wide receiver class. I got nine of them, I think, in the top 100. I got seven of them, I think, will go in the first round. And yeah, it still feels rich to take one of these guys at, uh, at eight, particularly when I could just get one of those. I could take Sky Moore on day two, maybe, and I'll be just as happy as if I took Drake London in the top 10, you know? So uh, for them, I think you either go edge rusher or the ideal scenario for them is that Carolina takes Kenny Pickett or Willis at six, and then you call Pittsburgh, you call whoever else, and you say who you call the Saints who, who've been mooted in the last 48 hours to want to pack a bundle two picks to go up. Hmm. Who wants this pick to go get the other guy, right? Who's you find forward? out. Yeah, Yeah. you find out who loves Pickett, who loves Willis, who loves Thibodeau if he's there, and you call those three teams and you say, who wants this pick? And and if not, that's when I would just take whichever's the best edge rusher because I don't think taking a wide receiver when the rest of your roster is an apocalypse is any way just to kind of start a relaunch. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the receivers, that Demir Bird, Frank Darby, Chad Hansen, Cadero Hodge, Auden Tate, Austin Trammell, and Olamide Zacchaeus. I mean, that is, that's a wasteland. But you go through the the wide receiver class, and, and you know, stop me when we get to day three because you know Drake London, George Pickens, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, John Mechie, David Bell, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, uh, Wondell Robinson, Alec Pierce, Khalil Shakir, Kyle Phillips, Tyquan Thornton, Jalen Tolbert, Romeo Dubs. You know, Danny Gray at SMU, Calvin Austin. Uh, I'm pr- pretty sure we're probably still on day two at this point. You yep. know, I've seen people talk about Mackay Polk on day two. Um, you know, it's. I mean, that's a, and even if you even if you're falling into day three with Dontario Drummond and Trey Turner and Reggie Robeson and does somebody take a you know what's what's the situation medically with Justin Ross and Javon Heli at Coastal Carolina and Bo Melton at Rutgers? There's some. You know, if that's really what you want to do at wide receiver, I just, um, yeah, I'm with you. They need wide receiver help, but I don't necessarily think you have to, you know, you have to swing for the fences in uh, in round one. No, you take a wide receiver, then you roll into training camp, you go, ah, yes, we still have no O-line and Marcus Marriott is our quarterback. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we it's shouldn't have done that. Anyway. It, makes no <laughs> it makes no difference. And you can always, I mean, you go through the available free agent list at the moment. I mean, it's a who's who of all pros from three years ago. It's yeah. kind of wild. There's always a Golden Tate available in week two of training camp who's a savvy <laughs> veteran. You bring him in, you know, he has chemistry with Mariota. You find an undrafted guy, and next year you're happy because you took a, a, a pass rusher who could be legit. 53 yeah. year old uh, Golden Tate. Yeah. <laughs> There's right. always one of them roaming around it's out there. It's there. 
All right, then that'll do it for this edition of Gridiron Live. We will be back next week. We will continue to roll through first round picks. You can also go and check out the Gridiron Show, which is out every Tuesday. You can go and get the magazine on order now. The pass rushes are coming. That is available now. Our our draft preview magazine and Simon Clancy's guide. It is there right now with our editing team, with the designers. I am awaiting a text. And as soon as I get the text, it will go live and you will have a dumping of five bazillion words of every single prospect. I believe when I was editing it i was reading about the average hang time of like the seventh punter in this class so you will have that available with you within 24 48 hours probably 24 sorry thanks for doing this no worries mate loved it it's good too